0: Some of my real life heroes are those that I know who have adopted children that nobody else wants. Lived for a time a number of years ago up in the Seattle area and we had some family friends. They had three biological children of their own and they had this room in their house for more. And so they reached out and they they ended up adopting a child who was addicted to crack because of of her mother who was a, a prostitute and was addicted and they ended up, over the course of the next seven years, adopting three more. So four crack-addicted babies over the course of seven years. Now, we lived some time down in Arkansas and had some family friends there. Again, three biological children of their own and room in their hearts for more. And so they, they said, God, what would you have for us? And they ended up adopting, again, not knowing so, one at a time, but not knowing so, but adopting three biracial children from Mississippi. Now, if you're not familiar with the South, uh, biracial children are the hardest for adoption agencies to plant. Or to, to place into homes, because white families don't want a black baby, and black families that they're not black enough, and so they, they made room in their hearts for them. It's uh, so a couple other family friends down there. Again, these are these are families. One one had three ado- biological children of their own. One had one other one had four. All of them were kind of in the preteen age, teen down to kind of mid elementary school, and they chose to adopt out of the foster system. Sibling pairs. Preteen sibling pairs, right in the middle. Just throw a few more in the mix there of that challenging time. Many here, many friends that we have in this area, several have adopted uh, children from orphanages overseas, with specifically seeking out those with emotional and physical disabilities. You know, adoption under any circumstance is a challenge. You know. Before you ever see the child, you have to fill out, like, mountains of paperwork. You have to go through interview after interview and home visit, you know, to make sure that you're somehow okay for them. And you get to pay tens of thousands of dollars for the privilege. Then the baby shows up, (laughs) or the child shows up, and that's when, you know, the real challenges begin. Even the best of adoption stories, even the best are full of difficult transitions, cultural obstacles, relational tension, and often health challenges. My, my, my family friends who adopted those babies who were addicted to a st- substance, over the, over the next years, they had doctor visit after doctor visit and therapists and, you know, multiple trips with multiple kids. And then when they got into education, they had to, some st- learning difficulties and had to come up with individual education plans. I mean, they, they took on this whole challenge. My, my friends who adopted the, those biracial kids, they're, they're in their teens now, and they have multiple emotional and physical challenges. One of them has a defiance disorder. She willful, is willfully uncooperative, resistant to any attempts to love and care for her, and even regularly launches insults at these, her parents who made room for her in their house, who who treat her and, and consider her their own daughter and who have spent thousands of dollars on personalized care. Why would families endure such hardship? Why would they take on obstacle after obstacle? Because they trust God. I know that may sound simplistic, but it's true. They are going after the heart of God. And if you read your Bible, if you want to go after the heart of God, you will be in some way caring for widows and orphans and, and, and those that are on the margins of life, the oppressed, right? That I talked about earlier. Just one example, uh, in the New Testament letter called James, we, see, we read this, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You want pure and undefiled religion? there's a pathway. And that's just one of dozens of times where the Bible writers commend us that this is where the heart of God is, caring for orphans and widows. Now, I'm not saying everyone should adopt an orphan, although maybe many of you even right now, may God may have just spoken to your heart on that. But if you want to go after the heart of God, at some way, in some way, you, you, you will be making room for those that are orphaned, that those that are troubled, children who are experiencing trouble. I know many of you around here do that by sponsoring uh, children overseas, uh, specifically through Africa New Life Ministry. They come here once a year, but you don't have to wait for that. You can go right now online at africanewlife.org and and sponsor a child in need in in, uh, Rwanda. Now, you may think certain people are somehow given a superabundant faith that leads them to do hard things, like adopt unwanted children. But when you talk to them, you won't hear a story of some supernatural faith process all of a sudden, ding! <laughs> no, you will hear stories of struggle, of difficulty, of doubt, of fear alongside increasing desire to know the heart of God and to follow his ways and to seek after his promises, especially when they're big and challenging and surprising. Faith in God works like that. When you read through the Bible as we're doing this year, and over and over you see God having these promises of future reward that are downright staggering. That's what he's offering to us. But you also read along, and you realize that his promises and his rewards—they come with something that we're not looking for: obstacles, many obstacles, seemingly insurmountable obstacles. As I was preparing for this this week, it actually reminded me of a of what I found as a humorous con- uh, conversation I would have regularly with my four, when I had four teenagers in the house. It, it went something like this: one of them would come to me and, in some way, say, "Dad, I want more freedom." Now I would say, okay, here's some more responsibility. And they're like, whoa, dad, back up the truck a little. You know, I didn't ask for responsibility. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that's the way life works. With freedom comes responsibility. It's the same way with rewards and hardship. That's the way life works. The best things in life are difficult to attain. Now, speaking of diff- difficult obstacles, we've been reading as a church through Exodus and Leviticus over the last few weeks. <laughs> that was difficult, right? But we're reading about the nation of Israel, the story of the nation of Israel walking through difficulties, following God, learning his ways. We might call what Israel has been going through God's wilderness training school. You see, over and over, God saw, or we, we've been reading about how God led the nation into trouble, He led them into trouble. And then he, they had a decision that they faced. Would they press forward in faith and trust the promises of God? Or would they shrink back in fear and seek to save themselves in some way that they knew how? I mean, just leaving Egypt. I mean, that was not the slam dunk decision that you might, we might think it is, right? You know, yeah, slavery was difficult, but it was known. They kind of knew what to expect. Whereas out there in the desert, who knows what's out there? So they leave Egypt. They leave the clutches of Pharaoh. And where do they end up? On the shores of the Red Sea, with the armies of Pharaoh right behind them. And, and fear would tell them, only two things going to happen here. We're either going to get taken back to Egypt, back to slavery, or we're going to die right here on the, on the seashore. But they leaned in, they cried out to God in faith. And what did God do? Provided a way they never imagined possible. And then after he rescues them from all of that, right, what does he do? He leads them into the desert. Oh, by the way, without any food and water. you going to trust me? And when they trusted him, they found out that God was provided food for them from heaven. They just woke up and there it was. Last week we talked about God's kind warnings and instructions that he began to give them over as they journeyed through the desert. With that came the same same opportunity. Would they embrace these instructions that God was giving them? Would we trust them and, and go and, and so that they get the life that God promised? Oh, I mean, they were different. They were very different than anything they had known to that point. Or would they kind of shrink back in fear and, and rely on what they knew in terms of how to, how to live life? And through all that and more, God was training them how to live a life motivated by faith, by trust in him, as opposed to living by fear. Well, in our passage today, the nation of Israel has finally arrived on the threshold of God's promise. You may recall back a few weeks ago, Pastor James talked to, or led us through the story of Moses being called by God to lead the nation. And embedded in that conversation was the promise that God had for the nation. It was found in, in uh, Exodus chapter 3. Where we read this, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into, here's the promise, their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Now, interesting, we have the the promises given right there. And actually, they may not have known it yet, but they probably got an idea that the the obstacles were also there. But we'll get to that down the road a little bit here. But, But what I want you to hear is that two years, this is two years from that promise... To the fruition of it. Here they are standing on the edge of that promised land. Two years. A lot of times we were waiting and trusting over time, waiting for God's promises. But now they're there. They're ready to step in. But before they go barging in, God instructs them to send in some spies first. You know, do a little scouting, get the lay of the land, see if it really was all that God had promised it. So this is where we're going to pick up in the story. It's in Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving you to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. Now what what I want you to hear is this phrase, the land I am giving to the Israelites. The, The land I am giving. The land I am giving. It is happening. This is what I am doing. That's what God is saying to them. So they pick up 12 spies. Now, you need to hear, you know, may not recognize the names or anything as you read through that, but these were the best of the best, the strongest of the strong. They were the leaders in each of these tribes. They were sent, again, and so they were sent into the land. So I'm going to pick up in verse 17. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. And oh, by the way, it happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So the spies, they do it. They go in there. They're there for 40 days. They scout the land and they saw some amazing things. They grabbed a few samples along the way, and they returned to give their report to the nation. That's what we see beginning in verse 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. So there you go. God promised, and sure enough, it's true. Right? Cha-ching! Here we go, right? Yeah! Except that's not the only thing that the spies had to report. Verse 28. But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea along the Jordan Valley. In other words, there's no room for us amongst all these people. Now again, that's why I wanted to highlight none of this is a surprise, right? It was all the way back there in the promise. These people were going to be there. God mentioned that uh, not only back at the burning bush when he made the promise, but you got to know that the Israelites heard about this all the way along over the course of two years. This is not a surprise. So what's the difference now? They're seeing, up clo- they're seeing them up close. <laughs> they're, they're big. They're scary. You know, it specifically calls out these descendants of Anak. And if you don't know what the, who they are, you may wonder what's so bad about them. You remember Goliath from David and Goliath fame? Yeah, he was called the descendant of Anak. And we see a description of him in 1 Samuel 2, 17. He was over nine feet tall. Yeah, that's a giant, even today, right? He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail, in case you're wondering, was 125 pounds just by itself. He also wore just, just you know, bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder and the shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. Yeah, imagine that standing in front of you. He's a big, scary dude. And the spies saw a whole lot of them. So the spies, they explored the land and they found that God spoke the truth. His, it was an abundant land full of promise. And there were also giants there. And a whole lot of other people who weren't all that excited about three million undocumented immigrants standing on their southern border. So here they are, the threshold of God's promises. Yet the promises came with challenges, huge challenges. And that's the way life with God works. His promises are amazing. They're worth going after. But unexpected giants are mixed in with the promises. Over and over as we read through the Bible, this is what God does. And any honest look at our own lives we come to the same conclusion. I mean, take the, what's so amazing about life. Think about it. Take marriage, the promise of companionship, intimacy, pleasure, legacy, the wonder of, of being at that altar and making those promises and having this image of this amazing life that, by the way, is also full of endless misunderstandings, clashes, and often soul-wrenching betrayal. What about parenting? <laughs> Parenting, the wonder of partnering with God and, and creating a human being and then raising him up. I mean, what an amazing privilege that starts with nine months of often challenging pregnancy followed by painful birth, followed by endless sleepless nights and then, and then tantrums and then willful disobedience and then they become teenagers <laughs> and nothing prepares you for that. And if you think the pain and hardship ends when the kids leave the house you got another thing coming What about work work where you can get a sense of purpose a sense of significance where you can get a provision to provide for you and your family uh, alongside difficult coworkers unreasonable demands and expectations and the fear the constant fear of what happens if I lose my job What about church church a place of belonging, celebration, connection with God, and close companionship, belonging with, with like-minded people, alongside difficulty getting connected, especially when you're new to the church, it's really hard. Everybody seems to already have their thing going. Or, or, or what about, you know, when you're worshiping and, and the music, it's too loud, or for some of you, not loud enough, <laughs> Right? We have missed expectations uh, alongside unexpected conflict and relational hurt. Yeah, that's church too. And what about God? God, the wonder that we get to have a relationship with the God of the universe who created us, who is often so inaccessible and uncooperative. (laughs) He gives us his Bible, which is full of wisdom and promise. And it's so often incredibly difficult to understand. (laughs) Written thousands of years ago in a language we didn't even know. Yeah. Promise and hardship. Fear and faith. Interwoven like strands of a rope. That's how life works. The question then becomes, which one will occupy our attention? Which one will dominate our decision making? Which one will motivate our plans, and our actions. Well, here in our story, we see these two clear responses right in front of us. It's in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. He says, but, it says, Caleb, Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him, and again, these are the best of the best, the leaders of the tribe, right? They disagreed. We can't go against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, get this phrase, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. So on the one side, you have Caleb. Where's Caleb focused? He's focused on God and God's ability and God's promises. He concludes, as a result, let's do this. Let's go. We got it. Uh, On the other side, you have all these other spies. And what are they focused on? Their, Their inability, their inadequacy, their fear. I think this is true for us as well. That which occupies our focus will determine our response. And when we're focused on God's ability, we will respond. It doesn't matter what it is. We will respond with courage and action. But when our focus is on my inability, I will respond with fear and self-preservation. So what did the Israelites do? Let's where we move into chapter 14. He says the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And they plotted among themselves... Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Interesting, their picture of the future that you have there, which, of course, is driven by fear. But but we had the promise of God giving them the land. God didn't promise that that they would die in battle. He didn't promise that their little ones would be carried off as plunder. Where did they get that? From their fear, from their imagination. And it's so true. When we give in to our fear, we paint a picture of the future that is full of everything that can go wrong. And so for the Israelites, here they are at the end of all that God had accomplished and instructed. It's as if they never left Egypt. It's as if they were never rescued from slavery. It's as if they never walked on dry land through the Red Sea. As if they never had food delivered them from heaven. As if they never had a day a week, the Sabbath idea that is emphasized in in through there. A day a week where you do do nothing, rest and watch and God will provide. And God did provide. It's as if God hadn't overlooked their sin, overlooked their failure over and over and over. None of that mattered. All they could see were the giants. All they could focus on was their own inability rather than on God's ability. Their leaders try one more time to convince them. Beginning in verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun, Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Return your focus to who God is, who we have seen God to be. We need not fear. He'll take care of us. He'll accomplish his promises. But in the end, no. No. And the result is tragic. The nation refuses to trust God, so God sends them back into the wilderness. Now, they ultimately do get God's promise. We'll get that down the road a little bit. But for these people... For all those people, they all died in the wilderness without ever tasting the wonder of seeing God's promises come true when they, when, when they followed him by faith. Except, of course, for Joshua and Caleb, the only two who stood there and said, let's go. It's a sad and sobering story. But my friends, it's more than just an ancient story for us to ponder and take a look at. This is our story. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, we are welcomed into the family of God. We become the people of God, just like the Israelites were the people of God, and just like the people of God, He, he leads us through wilderness experiences, through through st- towards staggering promises. He includes hardship and difficulty to train us to trust Him, so that we might look at His ability rather than our inability. He wants us to trust his heart. And this is true for each person who who gives their life to God through Jesus. It's also true collectively for us as a church. It's so easy to lose sight of what church is, why church exists. The church exists to partner with God in carrying out his mission here on earth. That is, Jesus made that abundantly clear in one particular interaction with his disciples, which is found in Matthew chapter 16, where we read this. He says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And of course, that was one of the titles he used for himself, the Son of Man. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. On this rock. In other words, on the confession that Peter spoke. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the saved son of God. You are the promised one. You are the one that, that came to live the, live the life that none of us can, and yet he did it on our behalf. He died to, to, for, the, for the, what we deserve, the death for our sin, and he rose from the dead forever conquering sin. On that confession of Jesus, he will build his church. He is building his church. And think, he he is not only that, but he's given the church the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Did you you catch that? I mean, we get excited when we get keys to a new car or keys to a new house, right? We as a church are given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Wow, yeah. I mean, think about that. And you notice it says nothing on this earth will prevail against Jesus' church. Nothing. Nothing. But did you catch the obstacles that are hidden in there? Power of evil kind of obstacles, hardships, suffering, confusion, failure, waiting, more waiting, and a whole lot of trusting. So here's the sobering part. My friends, we choose our response. We choose our response. We can be like Caleb and and focus on God's promises and believe in his rewards. So as we go out from here and we have the opportunity to spread good news around Jesus, remember the kingdom of God expanding out. That's our job. That's that's who we are as a church. We can share the good news of Jesus with with friends and neighbors and coworkers. They they may reject us, they may they may insult us, they may give us a cold shoulder. We don't know. What will we choose to believe? We are called to minister to those, to do justice to those that are on the, on the, on the margins of life, the least, the last, and the lost. That's going to require sacrifice on our part, giving up some of our comfort, being generous with some of what God has given us. Are we willing to do that? Will we trust God and absorb hardship on behalf of those where the heart of God is? We can choose to believe in God's promises and trust his rewards no matter the hardships we face. Or we can be like, like the nation of Israel on the edge of the promised land. We can focus on the hardships and difficulties and then shrink back in fear and seek to save ourselves. I don't know what trouble you're facing today. All I know is that life is full of hardship and trouble. And each time we face it, we have this choice. Will I press forward in faith and trust in God's promises or will I shrink back in fear and try to save myself? I don't know about you, but I want to be a Caleb. I want to be a Caleb. I want to be a a part of a church of Caleb's who know their God and believe in his promises and say, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Would you pray with me? And God, it's true. I, I look at my inability and I've got a lot of it. I have got a lot of it. I have so much fear and concern and, and desire self preservation. But then there's this faith I believe you've put in my heart and this desire to know more of you and to follow your ways and to believe your promises. And I know I'm amongst a church of people that are similar. And so feed our faith. Continue to call us into hard things and give us eyes to see, please, that we might see who you are and what you will do. And and trust that, even when we look around and wonder, how are we going to survive this, whatever this hardship may be? And help us together to be your church, together, which means when one stumbles, another picks them up. When, when one is shrinks back in fear, another one pulls forward to, and, and encourage we encourage one another. May we be a church of Caleb's. Pray, believing and hoping and trusting in Jesus' name. Amen.